Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You watch the markets at your own risk, okay? That's all on you. The Dow is down 317. NASDAQ is down 82. I mean, some things are pumping. I'm trying to figure out, did Disney do better than expected? Because from the stories last night, it was about how they thought the streaming was going to come in softer, but they picked up more streaming audience. Which makes you wonder whether or not the attack on Disney, if you will, or the response to Disney getting political, actually, uh, you know, bore any fruit. But you take a look at the stock price of Disney, and you're like, uh, yes. The stock price of Disney is just downright ugly. Disney right now, that's the Walt Disney Company, is at 102. And there was a moment it cracked below 100. You know what the problem is? The same person who is disgusted with the political nature of Disney looks at it this price, and, and what do they say, producer Ari? Buy now. Buy now. That's absolutely correct, because it's freaking Disney. It's the theme parks, and it's the movies, and it's Star Wars, and it's Marvel, and buy Disney. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. I'm curious to know what you're doing in this market. Whether you're stock market, whether you're crypto market, uh, are you are you starting to get really concerned about retirement? Is it is it like starting all over? I, I, I don't have panic because it's not going to help. But I'm paying attention the best I can, and there are things that, of course... We were talking about months ago together that are starting to come through. U.S. airline bookings have dropped 17%. In April, U.S. air flight uh, airlines, 17% less. They're still above the 2019 levels. It's because flights are so dang expensive. Consumers spent $7.8 billion on domestic tickets in April, down 13%. And airline bookings dropped 17% overall uh, from March. We've discussed that. I'm not going on vacation because the flights are too expensive. I had to go to Vegas in July for a cigar conference. It's it's where they have it. I got to go to it, right? That flight was near a thousand bucks. It ain't fancy. I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to pay the fancy uh, flight price. It's still going to be comfortable, but just the same. The flights have been out of control crazy. They've been nuts. And I'm just like, I I, I can't bring myself to do it. And that's why we didn't go on vacation. People go on vacations. I don't think I'm, I'm saying something that's, you know, out of the realm here. People go on vacation. I want to go on vacation. Take my family on vacation. That You work hard. You want to be able to do that. Couldn't bring, could not bring myself to do it with the flight costs, with the rental car stuff, and the everything else. And so now we're starting to see this pick up. But I was curious. Do me a favor. Um, uh, 
if you would, Ari, a look for where Disney was with, with streaming and, and, and what they said. I'm very interested to see whether uh, whether there's um, a, a, a move there that's going to be long-term or not. I know they're going to be spending a billion less on content going forward and, and where they get their content, et cetera. But I was just curious as to where Disney was in, in, in the conversation. It's up. I, D- Disney is up from where it was, yes. So Disney, I think, opened at, at 101. I mean, the streaming is up. It's up It's up big. Right. So I think it was supposed to be up like 5 million people, and it was, ended up being up like 7 point something. So it's fascinating because, well, Netflix lost so many viewers. So did Netflix lose them because they were woke, and Disney gained them because they were woke? Is there really no way to measure how that works? Did did Disney gain them because, well, you know what? People may be upset with Disney, but dang it, their kids want to watch Moon Knight. And they simply don't have the strength to say no. Did Disney start adding other features that people would be interested in? And, and, and Netflix is stale. They've been through that. This is the new exciting thing. Was it because uh, Disney was also able to bundle with a series of other things like Hulu or ESPN, and that's what brought people around? These are the questions that I have. These, these would be my Disney questions. But moreover, do we think that the bloodletting of this market is done? Or is there more? You take a look at some of those those big, big movers and shakers. Oh, look, there's Apple. Hey, Apple, how are you? Down to, they, they were down to 141 today. They were down to 140 today. Six months ago, they were heading up to the 170s and 180s. Is is this now proof that we've got a uh, a market that's in bear territory? Is this what we're going to see for the next 30 days, 60 days? No answer in sight. I don't have the answer. What I can discuss is that we have an administration that looks at these markets and still wants to tell us that the fundamentals are strong. This was a guy by the name of Jared Bernstein, who is uh, Biden's economic advisor, who wants you to know that the shelves are well stocked. Our ports have actually been doing a very good job of throughput. That is getting goods off the ship, off the ships and onto the shelves. Shelves are actually stocked at about the rate they were uh, pre-pandemic. Our fingerprints are on some of that because we've tried to help improve that kind of throughput through the ports. So that's helped. Go take a look at a local supermarket and then report back on whether or not the stores, whether the shelves are stocked. Are they? Because from just a purely anecdotal point of view, which is, of course, when I go to the store or when my wife goes to the store, uh, no. No, they're not. They're, they're, They're not stocked. What are we talking about? Why would you lie to people like this? Why would you begin to say this when, of course, it's not true? But what do you expect 
from a, an administration that has got a real, real issue with figuring out what's important. This is the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. While Americans are struggling and seeing their paychecks shrink, uh, a 24% increase over FY21 levels for NOAA uh, doesn't really help families put food on the table or clothes on the back at a time when inflation's at a 40-year high. Can you talk about how this massive allocation of funds helps to combat inflation or deal with supply chain issues that you say are so important? Yes. So, look, we, we, we believe climate change is an existential threat. So, you know, children won't forget about clothes on their back. They're not going to be able to have a life if we don't deal with climate change. Well, my uh, constituents can't forget about the need to put clothes on their kids' back right now. And climate change, as you say, being an existential uh, threat, uh, is not going to solve the problem of making sure the kids are are clothed and fed and off to school. I, I must say that that's a heck of a position. I mean, I, I liked the response there, um, uh, but that that's a heck of a position to take. Climate change is an existential threat, so who cares if your kids are clothed? Is this the take from the Biden administration on baby formula? Holy cow, baby formula. I'll get into that subject in, in a little bit. Let me hold off on that for just a moment. Try and, try and contain myself. This is how disconnected they are. You think they know there's an economic problem in America? No. They really think that the fundamentals are strong. They still think inflation is transitory. Some of them, I'm sure. They think that what Gina Raimondo said, Secretary Raimondo said, had value. Climate change is everything. Who cares about clothes on your kid's back? We've got bigger fish to fry. Not parents. Not parents because they get in trouble when they send their kids to school naked. My, or at least maybe just my parents did. Okay. What an unreal thing to say, except with this administration, it is absolutely who they are. Deluded and lost. This was Corinne Jean-Pierre, the incoming press secretary, on Air Force One speaking to the press gaggle. At the root of it all, inflation is still a real problem. We've been clear-eyed in talking about the challenges uh, driving inflation around the globe. Uh, as the president said yesterday, uh, the first cause was the pandemic, uh, the bottlenecks that has caused around that has caused around the, the globe. And there's no doubt that Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine has also led to high, higher commodity prices and pain for Americans at the pump. You, you, you think uh, Russians' invasion of Ukraine has anything to do with Apple stock? Do you think Russians' invasion of Ukraine has anything to do with formula? Do you think Russians' invasion of Ukraine has anything to do with the supply chain issues? Do you think, do you think, do you think? And the answer is no, they don't think. They get asked a tough question. I'm amazed they don't drool into a cup. Just, just, they get totally, totally lost. Totally. But you realize at this stage of the game that's purposeful, right? It's who they are. Telling the truth, being honest about their own policies, being honest about the situation is a valueless proposition to them. They don't want it. They're not interested in it. 
Why be honest about the thing? Why not instead blame everyone else? As I as I uh, uh, said on on my my Rumble video earlier today, Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. This is what is known as the Shaggy defense. The Shaggy defense. It, you know, it's based on the song. Uh, high gas prices wasn't me. Uh, uh, inflation wasn't me. Uh, you uh, someone ate some bad shrimp wasn't me. That's the entirety of the Biden methodology. This administration is based on the shaggy defense. That is no way to run an administration, I tell you. No way to run an administration at all. Certainly not a way to run a country, but it's exactly the way Biden's doing it. We'll get into the baby formula shortage, what Republicans are saying uh, about that and, and how we need to move forward with fixing the problem. Not talking about it, fixing it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So I enjoyed seeing Mitch Daniels, the president of Purdue University, the former governor of Indiana, discussing his opposition to student loan forgiveness. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? And he referred to it, talking to uh, CNBC, he referred to it as a gift to the wealthy. I thought that was an interesting, interesting uh, take on the subject. Forgive up to $10,000 in student loans for people who are making less than $125,000. You've done a very good job at Purdue of maintaining costs, keeping levels at the same levels they were. Forget about inflation, keeping at those levels since all the way back to the 2012-2013 year. What, what do you think about what's happening with college inflationary prices and what happens with student loan forgiveness? I think the forgiveness idea may be the worst public policy idea of, of recent times. I can't find any redeeming feature. Um, it's um, uh, very unfair to those who did pay, as 99% of our graduates do pay back uh, their obligations. Uh, it's a gift to the wealthy. The doctors and lawyers are the two categories who would benefit the most. Only 5%, even of the most modest suggestion they're talking about, only 5% would go to the bottom quintile. It's the most regressive policy uh, idea we've seen. Uh, it's probably illegal. I mean, this is the spending of hundreds of billions of dollars with a stroke of an executive pen. And uh, Congress is supposed to have the power of the purse. It would be unprecedented in that way. It's a terrible uh, moral hazard, as the economists say, meaning that people in the future will figure they can get them off the hook, too, and uh, will borrow more than they should. That'll push up college costs. Um, I just, uh, I, I really wish they would abandon it. There are better ways. They should put colleges like ours on the hook for some of this. It's an interesting take. They should put colleges like Purdue on the hook. But I thought it was interesting, the idea of calling it regressive. I, I got I to gotta get with him. I got to ask him and, and 
just get a better definition of what he means by by regressive. The gift to the wealthy part, I, I certainly understand. But I like hearing people talk uh, about this in, in this way. I, I find that the university set loves the idea of, sure, let the government pay off the debt and then we'll just, uh, you know, charge more people uh, in the future. No one ever discussed the cost of college, the ROI to the cost of, of college, the value of degrees, the value of certain degrees based on the cost of the degree. And then, as I've often said, uh, why don't we just tell colleges they can't charge more than $3,000 a semester or 3000 a year? Now, of course, you can't do that. They can charge what they will. But they have been able to play in concert with a private sector that said, well, if you don't have their piece of paper, you can't get a job here. That's, a, that's an ugly bit of collusion as I see it. When, uh, a, a, uh, when an employer, I guess, in the private sector in some kind of banking or coding world and, and a college do that, that's totally fine. But when you get a couple people deciding what the price of concrete should be, all of a sudden it's a RICO predicate and five guys go to jail. And that's where they learn how to cut the garlic super thin. We should not pay for the student loans of others. They made their choices and they have to deal with their choices. I don't want to hear about the problem that the gender study grad has. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. It's their problem, not mine. I didn't tell them to get a gender studies degree. As a matter of fact, I never would have let them get a gender studies degree if I was the guy who had to pay for the gender studies degree. My children are fully aware. I won't pay for that. I won't pay for that nonsense that provides no value, that will get you nowhere. You know what you do with the gender studies degree? You teach gender studies. Colleges love it. They love having the class. Oh, look at our gender studies program. (laughs) No value in it whatsoever. None. I am saying objectively there's no value. Now, you don't have to listen to me. You can go. You can go and get one. You go get the degree. I'm not I can't stop you. You can't then turn around and tell me I have to pay for it. I don't care about you that much. I think it's really important to note. You get a gender studies degree, you're on your own. I'm not worrying about your future because you didn't. Facebook. Ah, forget those people. Go to rumble.com slash Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. I'm writing to you this evening to discuss some concerns I have with the present political climate at our school. I had hoped that outside events would not reach us and cause discord, but unfortunately we are in a situation where they have. I found this on Twitter. And the story that goes with it is that it's an email from this person's, uh, their, their, their child's high school, their daughter's high school. The principal sent this out and um, discussing that the Supreme Court leak 
on the Dobbs versus Jackson case, the Alito leak uh, first draft saying that they will overturn Roe versus Wade. This this leaks out. And uh, the letter discusses how this is, of course, an extremely divisive issue. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you guys. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. You can call in. I, I, I'd love to talk to you. So I, I must start with, I don't know if this is real or not. But I wanted to share with, share it with you because within it is the idea of what you hope would happen at your kid's school or at any kid's school for that matter. Uh, the, the, the letter argues from the principal uh, that uh, it would be understandable that students would have passionate opinions on the issue. Understandable that they would want to have their voices heard and asked, with my permission, many of our students participated in a walkout during lunch. Now, I don't agree with those kinds of things. We should be clear. But the letter continues that no instructional time was lost. I'm always a strong supporter of allowing students to exercise their First Amendment rights in a peaceful manner. Teaching students to be advocates of their own personal causes is a valuable skill to learn and part of our school's mission. Just not on school hours. That's my take. In addition to the walkout, one of our clubs received permissions to post signs supporting their opposition to the potential Supreme Court decision. This is where it gets interesting. At the same time, this letter uh, claims, other students chose to peacefully demonstrate their support for the decision, meaning that Alito and the other justices will overturn Roe versus Wade, by wearing red shirts to school and posting their own approved posters through their club. Unfortunately, this did not play out in a manner that I could support or tolerate. These students were ostracized by their peers and their signs were torn down. I'm going to be very candid with all of you. While I am a fierce supporter of the First Amendment, there are limits to what can be allowed to happen in school. The actions that took place today by some students are creating a hostile environment at the one place that should be a sanctuary from the foolishness that takes place outside of school. While the vast majority of us say that we believe in an inclusive and welcoming environment, actions such as harassing other students over their views and tearing down their posters show me that for some it is just talk. This is unacceptable to me and as long as I am responsible for our school it will not be tolerated or allowed to continue. Now I ask you, isn't that exactly what you'd want to see? Never mind that you might disagree with the principal about this, that, or the other. Isn't this exactly what you want to see? If we're actually going to be inclusive, and they write this, an inclusive and welcoming environment goes way beyond race and religion. It also means that we will respect and tolerate our peers' views. This does not mean that anyone has to accept and adopt views of which they disagree, but instead means that we can engage in productive discourse and conversations to try to understand each other's view in a safe environment. This includes online behavior on social media sites as well. I want to put forth now that I don't believe that the letter is real. I wish it were. I'd I'd be happy to be wrong. It just, in one of the ways that's written, it's written in how... I would, I would love for somebody to phrase it, not necessarily the way I think people phrase things. But without question, this is exactly what you'd want. What is inclusivity? 
And this is where I differ with the DEI folk who don't believe in actual inclusivity. They don't believe in diversity of thought. Equity is bigotry. And inclusion, uh, they don't include me. They want to purposefully, willfully, wantonly exclude me and you. That's what they want. 150% what they want. They want to exclude you and me. Happily, joyfully get rid of us. We are not are not welcome. And I just want to make sure that we understand uh, uh, that that's not just some kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Venting. Those are the facts. We're not the ones who are welcome. And I love the idea of somebody talking about inclusivity. So I wish this to be true. I hope that this is real. I, 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 don't, I don't believe it is. What I believe is real is this from Christopher Rufo, uh, dated uh, May 11th, where um, it seems that the Biden administration... Uh, has an FBI counterism uh, resource investigating parents for expressing political speech at local school board meetings. He's He's got the receipts. He's got the letter up. It's from the Committee uh, on the Judiciary from the House of Representatives to Merrick Garland. The FBI re- uh, investigating parents? I totally believe that to be true. If you call parents domestic terrorists, well, then why would I believe it anything but? Tell me what's so inclusive by saying I'm not allowed to speak out about what's going on at a school board hearing. Well, you're violent. I'm not violent. Well, you brought a gun. That actually happened uh, in, in, in central Indiana, Carmel, Indiana. It's where it happened. Someone did bring a gun. They didn't point at anybody. It slipped out of their pocket, which is, uh, dude, it's bad enough that something could actually slip out of a holster, which which has happened. I know, it's, you're like, how? Slipping out of your pocket? Why is it in your pocket? But carrying a firearm is not threatening somebody with a firearm. Law-abiding citizens carry firearms everywhere, all the time. You don't even know it. The person in the supermarket right now next to you has a firearm. Stop being so dang surprised. Millions and millions and millions of Americans carry firearms every single day. Nothing goes wrong. Nothing happens. I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that. I don't think people should think that there's something wrong with that. But this guy brought one to a school board meeting. It slipped out. Up, oh, gets arrested. Oh, look at all the violence! Uh, I, their their response was no public comment for like like months. Just one guy does something, so everybody gets silenced. That's that's great. One guy brought a gun, slipped out of his pocket. They didn't check to see how many more guns were still there. By the way, <laughs> I that that's what I noticed. But they 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 silence the people they disagree with. That happens all the time. 
happily silence people because they don't believe in the inclusivity. They don't believe that everybody should have a say. And they're, and they're overjoyed by, by keeping you out of the conversation. They've, they've never, ever been happier. Now, I, w- I was going to get into the abortion conversation. I should. You know what? Maybe, maybe I'll hold off on that a, a, a little bit. I, I, I do want to get in on uh, the, the, the abortion conversation, especially with what Janet Yellen was talking about. And now uh, Representative uh, uh, Katie Porter, uh, it, it's, it's, we've reached a level of, of absolute incompetence. But I was absolutely amazed to hear Joe Biden on the subject of COVID actually admit to the milestone. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths, one million empty chairs around the family dinner table, each irreplaceable, irreplaceable losses, each leaving behind a family, a community, forever changed because of this pandemic. My heart goes out to all those who are struggling, asking themselves, how do I go on without him? How do I go on without her? What will we do without him? It's grief shared by people across all of our nations. Around the world, many more millions have died. Millions of children have been orphaned. And with thousands still dying every day, now is the time for us to act, all of us together, we almost do more. It's interesting because Joe Biden in October of 2020 put out a tweet that read, with over 200,000 dead, this man, meaning President Trump, should not be president. More people died under Joe Biden than died under Donald Trump. Your move. Maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't engage in such ugly hackery and you should engage how you think you could do things better. That's what the rational person does. Not you. And it's so easy to call you out on, on, the, on the clear nonsense that you put forth. Of course it was nonsense. You knew it was just a pylon and you've, you had the, the, the media behind you. What did it matter what you said? You told America that if you were in charge, you, COVID would be over. COVID's not over. As a matter of fact, there are people still talking about lockdowns. Or worse, you've got people not taking responsibility for lockdowns. Did you hear this from Fauci? This is flat out stunning. You agree that during the times of the lockdowns, the data that we have seen following these lockdowns um, has shown that we have had increases in um, depression among young people. Suicide. There's no doubt that when you yes put... Yes or no, if you could just... I'll answer the question. There's no doubt when you put restraints on society that it causes emotional and mental stress. There's no doubt about that. But you have to have a balance of saving people's lives from getting infected in hospitalizations. Would you agree that suicide rates are have increased among young people? Indeed, they have. Would you agree that domestic violence rates have increased? Uh, yeah, well, the answer is yes, but I'm wondering what that has to do with the question you're asking me. Would you agree that drug and alcohol use increased during these lockdowns? 
Well, I, I'm not sure the lockdowns itself did it. And I'm wondering why you're asking me about lockdowns, because there were not complete lockdowns in this country. There were restrictions, obviously, but there were not lockdowns. China is now going into a real lockdown. So I would disagree with characterizing whatever went on in this country as a full lockdown. That's ridiculous. People couldn't go see their families. People go, couldn't go see friends. They couldn't go to school. They couldn't connect. They were forced into masks because they weren't chained to their desk. It wasn't a full lockdown. Are we going to now somehow say there's no causation between isolating people and suicide rate, drug abuse rates, abuse rates? That's, that is surreal. And now we see a little place like Northeast, I think, is having some upticks in, in cases. I'm not hearing about hospitalizations or deaths. And even if I did, I'd still be opposed to mandates. I'd be opposed to mass mandates. I'd be opposed to vaccine mandates. I would be opposed to lockdowns. You can't shut down society to save society. We've proven this. Even China is starting to feel the heat from their lockdowns that they had in Shanghai and other places. They are feeling the heat. Can't live like this. Can't act like this. People want to be able to move. If if ever you needed a reason why... um, Communism was so bad, they don't care about your need to move. Whatever stringent idea they have, what does it matter if you have to deal with it? It's just the way it is. What are you going to do? Fight back? They take you in the middle of the night. This is what happens in a society that has no morals and has no standards. The Communist Chinese Party has no morals and has no standards. And guys like like uh, Dr. Fauci say, well, we didn't do what China did. Although I'd secretly love to. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? Oops. I assume that's what he sounds like when he's not uh, in front of a camera, which is weird because there's never a moment Dr. Fauci isn't in front of a camera. I've got more. Keep it right here, guys. I'm Tony Katz. So Finland is going to join NATO, and this has got reverberations because Finland stayed away from this conversation for years, for years, decades. They border Russia. They weren't going to have a NATO conversation. They were going to stay close to Europe, but they were going to make sure they knew their neighbor knew they weren't a threat. But now they realize that, that Russia under Vladimir Putin, and who knows who's behind him, is a threat. And they know that their future security comes with help from Europe and the United States, not China. This is the part. This is really the China fight. You want a strong NATO, and you want a NATO where the European nations are taking a more proactive role. And the United States can take a more strategic role and a more uh, supply of weaponry hardware kind of role. 
I think that's that's more value for us. But the connection means that when China starts running Russia and Russia's the vassal state, their influence is blunted because we already know the game they're trying to play. And you now get to ask yourself, well, what parts of Russia, if Russia falls, might be helpful? And you got to have a plan to do that. And you got to have support to do that. I'm not talking about nation building. I have no interest in nation building Ukraine. I don't mind helping them to fight. They should win the fight and then they got to figure their stuff out. I am not doing Marshall plans. But when Russians realize that Vladimir Putin can't run anything and they're going to end up being nothing more than puppets to China, maybe they'll want a better option. Just trying to think long term. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.